Trinity Church, good morning. How are you doing? I think you've received some great energy. Can we thank the band? What a great job and just helping us focus. And that's the beauty of worship music is we could just read the lyrics and they'd be powerful. But there's something about all of the emotion of the music and what it draws our hearts to, draws our souls to in a powerful way. And our goal every single week throughout our entire worship service is that we would all be, be more preoccupied with Jesus than when we walked in the door. So great credit to them. They'll be back to finish our service today. It is so great to see you indoors. It is great to see you out on the pavilion, and it is great to see you online. We're glad that you're joining us in all kinds of different facets and formulas, and just appreciate it. This is our, we've been one month back indoors on campus, and we've been doing our other formats in multiple ways for months, and just grateful for the ability to be flexible, grateful for a beautiful March morning for those that are outside, and all those things are so good. So we're grateful you're with us. My name is Todd Arnett, I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity. You're joining us in a series called Beckon, the God who invites you close. And if you have our church app, you might want to pull that out, go to resources, and under resources are sermon notes. And those will be available there for you to track with us. If you have a Bible today, if you want to make your way to John chapter 5, John chapter 5 is where we're going to be picking up uh, the narrative of where we've left off last. One of the things, just to give you a, a heads up about next Sunday, we're real excited. This will be probably about our fourth, what we call a series response service. And what that means is we take time occasionally at the end of a series just to process just to kind of say, hey, we've been 12 weeks in these first few chapters of the book of John. What has God been telling us? What has he been revealing to us about himself, about his character, about his heart? And, and our goal will be next week to provide opportunities both for you that are here on campus as well as for those of you that are online to be able to interact with uh, what we've been looking at in these various narratives of Jesus coming close to people and revealing the, the heart, the love, the kindness, the grace, the truth of God. And so join us next Sunday. We'll be kind of looking back. We'll have a lot of music. And one thing we're real excited about is we'll be having baptisms as well. So it'll just be a great time being together, looking back on these last few weeks, and then getting ready for Easter. So all those things are just coming in a great time, and we're excited to be here with you. Today, what we're looking at is we're continuing in the narrative of uh, John's gospel. At the beginning of chapter 5 has a powerful interaction that, once again, Jesus has with an individual. And I wanted to begin with some definitions. I feel like sometimes if you don't start with the right definitions that we're working off the wrong page or a different page from one another. Look up on this screen. We're going to see that Jesus comes in contact today with someone who is called in our English translations an invalid. An invalid. And, and this is what that means. Somebody with a persistent disease, a patient who has been affected by a disease or a medical disorder over a long period. So that's the gentleman that we're going to meet. We're going to find out he's been in this condition for 38 years. So we're talking nearly four decades of his life have been in some ways defined by what he can't do. Now, that's a powerful thing, but I want you to look at, and this doesn't translate from the original Greek words, but listen to our English language. If you put an emphasis on a different syllable, 
you get a very different meaning. Look at the, what the word invalid means. Invalid, spelled exactly the same way, something that is flawed, not acceptable or correct through being based on a mistake or employing flawed reasoning. That's very fascinating to me. Those two things define very, very different people in very different circumstances, but how fascinating that so many times in the culture it can feel like an invalid is invalid. And that's a powerful reality for us to look at today because I want us to continue to connect with this individual as he interacts with the Messiah. Finally, when we turn that word invalid into a noun, we get the word invalidate to make something worthless. I want you to see the power of Jesus, the love and the kindness of Jesus today that comes alongside an invalid who in many ways probably feels invalid by many who have invalidated him. And you'll see that Jesus does just the opposite. This narrative, for those of you who grew up in church, you might have come across it when you were a child, back to that blue flannel graph board, right? And when you did, you were impressed that Jesus has the ability to help a man who couldn't walk miraculously be able to walk. But in order to really get into this narrative today, I want you to set aside what you heard in the third grade and I want you to come into terms with it now because many of us have moved beyond that. And in the third grade, what you didn't have was deep financial debt. In the third grade, what you didn't have was a career that is shaky and on the rocks. What you didn't have was a troubled marriage. What you didn't have were prodigal kids. What you didn't have was an addiction. But those things are more true now. And so as we read this narrative today, I want you to set aside the third grade version that you heard, and I want you to connect, and I want you to connect in such a way that you don't begin to think of this man, and I usually will tell you, what is it like to get into that person's sandals? Today, what I want you to think about is, what does it mean to get on his mat? What does it mean to live a life in a healthy, mobile, together world? when you're stuck on this, watching the world go by. That's the context of what we look at today and where I want you to see this. And what I want you to see most important is what we need to walk away with today because if this story is gonna be more than a story, if this narrative is going to be what I believe God intends it for every one of us to be deeply life-changing, then it really begins with a powerful question. Look at your now what statement this week. This is what we're talking about. Recognize that healing begins with the question, do you want to get well? Recognize that healing begins with the question, do you want to get well? For those of you taking notes, number one, Jesus didn't avoid people who needed help. Jesus didn't avoid people who needed help. Praise God. John chapter five, verse one. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem to one of the Jewish festivals. Now there was in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. 
one who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Let's uh, look at the context of where we're at. The last time that we saw Jesus, he was in Galilee. He was in the city of Cana, where a, a royal official from Capernaum had come and begged that Jesus heal his son. And in a powerful display, not only of miraculous power, but of love, Jesus heals the son even before the man and doesn't need to go to the home. He does it long distance. And as the man goes home, he finds this great truth to be what has happened. It says sometime later, so Jesus was up in Galilee, now there's another Jewish festival, and there was a, a requirement for those who were Orthodox, who, those who followed the Jewish faith, to come to Jerusalem for various celebrations throughout a calendar year. John doesn't tell us which festival this is, but when Jesus comes and describes not only the, not really the festival at all, but something that was happening in the city of Jerusalem, there were these two pools. Take a look at this map. I think what I failed to do was circle it, but if you look very well at the top, right in the middle, it says pools of Bethesda, those two blue pools that are up there. That's where these were in relationship to the temple. So close by the temple, but outside of that big wall area that would have been there. And that's what John goes on to elaborate. And the reality is, is that this was a place where people with disabilities would gather together. The word Bethesda is a powerful word. It literally means the house of outpouring or the house of mercy. That's beautiful. One of the ministry projects that you helped support was a Bethesda ministry on the continent of Africa that was helping those with disabilities in this region not only be able to have opportunities to, for gainful employment and some great life skills, but for those in the surrounding community to realize that they were not invalid. And I love this ministry, and I love that we got to support them uh, this last year in our Advent Conspiracy. Take a look at this next picture Do, in some excavation. This is an area that they believe was probably those pools of Bethesda. And if you'll note, the steps that go down into what looked like would have been a pool of water. So it's just kind of a cool visual for us to have a little understanding of where Jesus went to and what was happening in that area. So these pools of Bethesda were a designated area for the persistently sick to congregate where it says a great number of disabled people would gather. Now here's what we don't know. It doesn't say that they gathered there because they particularly liked this area, nor does it say that they had been quarantined to be there by healthy people. We don't know, but we do kind of get one impression there apparently was among them a myth that there was a supernatural power that was released when the pool's waters were stirred. And here's why I know that. If you noted in your text, if you're reading along with me, most likely your Bible skipped from John chapter 5 verse 3 to John chapter 5 verse 5. And you're wondering, where did verse 4 go? That's a great question to ask. It's probably a footnote at the bottom of your page, and this is what it reads. And I'll, let me read it, and then I'll tell you why it's not in the up, upper part of your text with everything else. It says, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after such a disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. Now, the reason that verse is not in your just flow of text 
is that most likely it was added by uh, those who were transcribers later on in the margins trying to give some clarity for what we'll read later on in verse 7. The point is this, it's not in any of our most reliable manuscripts, and therefore we don't believe it to be inspired language of God. And I will tell you today, my take in reading commentaries, I also don't believe it was true. I think there was a, a myth among the people that in a certain stirring of the waters, the first one in gets healed. And we have nothing to support that that necessarily at all happened. But the reality is that it, I don't want to get hung up on that. I want you to get hung up on the fact that this would not be the first group of people who gathered in auspicious ways, hoping, hoping that there might be a way that things would change for them. People gather in Las Vegas in front of slot machines hour after hour, dumping quarter after quarter, just believing at some point I'm going to hit it rich. People keep attending the same award ceremonies, volunteering for more and more roles, thinking that if I just get acknowledged one more time, I can finally feel like I have meaning and value in life. People go to nightclubs because they are so deathly afraid of being alone. And if I don't have a special someone, and it doesn't even matter who it is, I don't feel like I am valid. This was another group of people with the same idea, I want something to change, and I'm gonna do something that maybe produces hope that it could. The first thing I want you to see in this narrative about Jesus, I want you to see that he's at the pool. You noted in the description, the map of around the temple area, you had to leave the whole temple area and all the different courts in order to get to these pools. They weren't like right there next door. And Jesus makes an intentional direction, an intentional choice to go to the pools. We said at the beginning that Jesus did not avoid people who had needs. He went to them. We said a couple of weeks ago that Jesus didn't have anyone in his life who was on the other side of the tracks, not in terms of their ethnicity, not in terms of their culture, and now as we see today, not in terms of their disabilities. When you stop and think about it, I want you to catch this point because this kind of came off the page to me. I want you to think about, since we've started this study in the first few chapters of John, think about who goes looking for who. Chapter 3, Nicodemus, uh, the highest of the highest of the Pharisees, he's in the Sanhedrin. He's a ruler among the Jewish class. He seeks out Jesus for a one-on-one -on -one conversation. We saw last week in chapter 4 that a royal official who would have had some degree of power and influence, he travels 17 miles just to ask Jesus, would you please do something for my son? Men of power came looking for Jesus, but go back to the beginning of chapter four, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus sat down at a well with a woman that nobody, not even her own people, wanted anything to do with. Jesus went looking for her. And now today in John chapter five, the pools of Bethesda were pools where only people with disabilities would go. Jesus went out of his way to go and walk through the pools. You see, people who had power came looking for Jesus, but to those who had no prestige, no power, nothing to offer, Jesus went looking for them. 
That should encourage you because that deeply encourages me. Jesus is looking for people who don't have their act together. Jesus is looking for people who have needs. And one thing I love is we were putting together our core values at Trinity Church a year and a half ago. This was one of the things that bubbled to the top. It's up on the screen. This is one of our six core values at Trinity Church. You belong here. Now, one of the things that we took pains to in the more recent time, our elders, along with our directional team, realized that these core values could use some fleshing out. What does that actually mean? I've had some of you even say to me, Todd, that's kind of a, that one in particular is kind of a weird one. Are you like telling people like show up or else? You know, what does that mean? You belong here, you know? And, and it means not that at all, but what I wanted to show you is this amplified, we have amplified our core values. You'll find them on our website and we'll put them in some more documents in coming days. There's something about the pithy line. They're all around our worship center today that is helpful, but there's also an explanation that's needed. Take a look at this and I want you to read this aloud with me. This is the amplified version, the understanding of our core value, you belong here. Let's read it together. We value the culture of intentional acceptance that Jesus modeled. We value his kind of unconditional love that accepts brokenness and leads to healing. We value you for who you are, regardless of your religious background or lack thereof, your abilities or disabilities, your ethnicity, social or economic status, or whatever it is that makes you you. You are welcome here. I love that. I love that that's what we've come up with as a way to explain, which for some of us could have been confusing or it just sounds cool, you belong here. What does that mean? That's what it means. And what's so powerful is that's what this is modeled. That's what Jesus showed us in John chapter five. He went looking for people who had needs. Now, Jesus seems moved by the length of this man's disease. Something about hearing that he had been in this position for 38 years is meaningful to him. He's drawn to him. And in this idea, what Jesus comes to understand is this had been his life. This has been most of what his life is about. Lying on a mat without social programs that provided for his well-being, he had to make it on what pitying people might throw his way. That was his only way to survive. For some of us, we can relate to this man. The Greek word, by the way, that we've translated in our Bibles, invalid, is the word that simply means without strength. So this is a man whose at least his legs were without strength. He could not walk. Here's some of the things that maybe we might resonate with more. Being afflicted by a condition from which you can't seem to be healed. A disability so significant that it has impeded your everyday world perhaps for decades. It could be a physical sickness or a disability. It could be a psychological disorder. It could be a social condition. It could be a loveless marriage. At least that's the way you define it. It could be a financial burden. Burdens that just don't seem to ever end. Well, back to the pool. Jesus comes upon this man laying upon this mat, and as he sees him there, in some way he gets his attention, and he asks him a most provocative question, do you want to get well? 
I just want you to do this. I asked you a minute ago to get into this man's, onto this man's mat, even more so than getting into someone's sandals. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to hear Jesus asking the question, do you want to get well? And I want you to be one of his disciples. One of his disciples who's standing there, maybe standing a little further away, and uh, he's standing over here, and as he asked that question, do you want to get well to a guy who can't walk and has been in this condition for 38 years, you would do exactly what John would have done. You would have dropped your gaze, looked at your feet, and gotten really flush in the face. Jesus, that's a stupid question. Do you want to get well? Imagine the man's internal answer. It's not the one that we see. Do I want to get well? <laughs> this is paradise, Jesus. I'm living the life. This is awesome. I get to sit here by a pool every day and beg strangers for money just so I can eat. <laughs> Why would I want that? seems like an audacious, even rude kind of question. But I want to make sure you understand why Jesus asked what seems to be an insensitive question. This is very important. Maybe it's because not everyone who is sick wants to be healed. Maybe it's because not everyone who is bedridden wants to walk. Maybe it's because not everyone who is insecure wants to be content. Maybe it's because not everyone who is lost wants to be found. Look in your notes. Jesus knows what you need, but he never assumes you do. Jesus knows what you need, but never assumes that you do. Don't hear Jesus asking a rude or insensitive question. Hear Jesus asking the most important question of all. None of this will matter if you aren't even interested in being well. Do you want to get well? A key for recovery and healing in one's ability is, is based on one's ability to answer three questions. Dr. Mark Laser, in his book, Becoming a Man of Valor, he lays these out. They all actually come from this Gospel of John. Look at them up on the screen. It begins with this question, do you want to get well? Anything that you're going through, Mark specifically writes to those who have a sexual addiction but this applies to every area of our life. It begins, do you want to get well? Number two, what are you thirsty for? That's what we looked at, the woman at the well. Jesus asked her the question. She was only thirsty for water that she could drink physically. Jesus came to offer a much more important, lasting water. And thirdly, what are you willing to die for and are you willing to die to yourself? And that's Jesus' conversation from John chapter 12 with Greek proselytes, Greeks who had come to hear about Yahweh and are hearing about the Messiah. And this is the question he asked to them. Those three questions are imperative if healing and recovery are ever going to happen. Oops, I said this, but I meant this. Number two in your notes, religion will cause some to miss the power and purpose of Jesus. Religion will cause some to miss the power and purpose of Jesus. Moving on, verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Remember that illusion we were talking to from verse 4? While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. 
At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick, up your, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. I want you to see the man's response. Remember what he's just been asked. Do you want to get well? That's the question. And his answer is really interesting. It's a bit obtuse. He doesn't say yes. He doesn't say no. But he gives an excuse. He says, every time I've tried to get to the water when it's stirred, I don't get there fast enough, and therefore I'm not healed. So his answer gives an interesting thing. In some ways, it places blame upon the fact that he doesn't have people caring for him to get him there quick enough. But another way, it does demonstrate intent. Jesus, I'm trying. This was his own ability, his best method of being healed was getting into the water before anyone else, was his understanding. So it definitely showed an intent that I don't want to keep staying this way. But what I love about Jesus' reply to him is that two can play that game of elusive answers. Jesus never says you're healed. Jesus just tells him the evidence of his healing. Get up, pick up your mat, and start walking. Now, I told you a minute ago, if you're over here and you're John, and you've heard Jesus say to the man, do you want to get well? Right? You've already done this. You've already started looking at your feet and you're getting flush in the face and you're like, that's a dumb question. Now as the conversation's gone on, this is just within seconds of that, Jesus says to a guy who hasn't walked in 38 years, stand up and pick up your mat. You've just turned from embarrassed to, oh my gosh, that's the rudest thing I've ever heard anyone say. You don't think if the guy could, he would have already done that? You don't think that there would be this sense of, of urgency years and years ago? Are you kidding me? Jesus is talking to a guy who can't walk, and he tells him to stand up. That's beyond insensitive. That's just downright mean. It is, unless you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's absolutely brutal, unless you know who's saying it. Because with his direct words come his divine power. And the man at once was cured. How would those who were listening, like John, one of these disciples that's just outside of his skin right now, like this is so uncomfortable, how would John know that this man is healed? Well, it's when he would have stood up. And it's when he would have picked up his mat and he would have put it under his arm for the first time in 38 years. That's when the miracle would have been clear, not just to John, but to everyone around this pool of Bethesda. Simple question for you. If we're talking not so much about your present or your future, but we're talking about your past today, what has been your mat? 
What has been the thing that Jesus has brought healing and recovery to your life that you carry around as a reminder, not of your past in some sort of um, just living in that discontent, but a past that's been redeemed and healed? Maybe for some of you, it's a chip that demonstrates how many years you've been sober. Maybe for others of you, it's brand new wedding rings because you got your vows renewed and you thought it was over. Maybe it's a scar or a tattoo that just reminds you of God's amazing provision in your life, his protection over your physical body, and you wear it with pride because you want everyone to know there's a God and he's healed what I never thought could be healed. This is a powerful story, and I don't want you to miss the fact that a guy that couldn't walk for almost four decades now is walking. Imagine strength coming to feeble legs. Imagine him beginning to prop himself up one part at a time and then standing up and seeing the world in a brand new way. That's what's just happened. And he gladly picks up his mat as a testament to the fact that Jesus has the power to heal. But from there, the story goes an incredibly different way. There's a huge curveball that comes next. Because you see, Jesus wasn't just going through the pools and walking around that day. And it wasn't just the fact that there was a man who'd laid there who hadn't been able to walk for 38 years. It wasn't just the fact that this happened to be on the Sabbath. You see, this man was a part of Jesus' bigger purpose, but it wasn't limited to him. There was something much more at play. In your notes, Jesus has come to rescue not only the sick from their diseases, but the self-righteous from their rules. Jesus has come not only to heal the sick from their diseases, but the self-righteous for their rules, because we're going to see an incredibly sharp contrast to where people should be filled with joy and awe We're going to see religious leaders who want to get frustrated about the mat. Wearsby has some great words on the power of what happens when people witness Jesus's miraculous strength. Look in your, or up on the screen. It says, throughout the Gospel of John, you see the Jewish people divided over the meaning of these miracles. The same miracles that attracted Nicodemus to Jesus caused some of the other religious leaders to want to kill him back at the end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3. Our Lord's miracles, watch this, were testimonies giving evidence of his divine sonship, but they were also tests exposing the hearts of the people. The same events that opened some eyes only made other eyes that much more blind. You see, I want you to catch the irony of this. I want you to catch the idea that a man who has strong legs, who doesn't need to get into the pool anymore to somehow have his hope hanging on stirred waters, now is walking around his mat. And as he comes in contact with religious leaders on the Sabbath, they don't even care about his story. Some of them might have even known that's the guy who hasn't walked in 40 years. All they are concerned about, you're carrying your mat on the Sabbath. That's a no-no. We don't do that. And I love this guy's answer. Well, the guy who seems to be stronger than any of you, he told me to. 
I don't even know his name. I don't know anything about him. He's just a stranger who walked over me. But he told me to pick up my mat and walk, and I'm going to obey that. <laughs> I'm going to stick with that plan. I'm blown away by religious leaders who major on the minors. Laws that they had put into place just to make sure we stay so far away from breaking the law. Extra measure upon measure, hundreds of them. They missed what Jesus was doing rather than saying, who is this guy? We need to know. People are healing people. A guy's healing people who hasn't walked in 40 years. I need to find out who this guy is. None of that. How dare you carry your mat? How dare you carry your mat? So one of the things I really love about Trinity is that we don't tend to get hung up on the mat. You see, at other churches, the mat tends to be the first thing that always gets brought up. It's great that in church, young people are coming to our youth group, but what if they start smoking on campus? It's great that we have children from our neighborhood here at an outreach event but don't let them mess up the social hall. It's wonderful that people want to study the Bible. Just make sure it's the one that uses our approved translation. People who get hung up on the mat. And to us, it's not about that. Finally, number three, your greatest need is the healing of your relationship with God. Your greatest need is your healing of your relationship with God. We're back to chapter 5 now in verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple, found the man, the former invalid, now walking. And he said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. I think the second encounter is as much or more important than the first. You see, later Jesus found him at the temple. It's not random or chance. Jesus didn't bump into him. He went looking. And I want you to see the power of that. Jesus didn't only seek him while he was physically in need, but still sought him when he was spiritually in need. Jesus is going after people with intentionality and with purpose. I want you to know this healing is different from almost every other one in the Gospels, and here's why. Most every single time that you see Jesus heal someone, there is some evidentiary faith, some belief in that person, or even you'll note the guy who's lowered down from uh, the roof, his friends tore apart a roof so they could get this, this paralyzed guy to Jesus. At least, Jesus says, at least based on their faith, Someone always seems to have faith in the midst of a miracle. This guy doesn't seem to evidence anything except for saying, I haven't been able to get down to the pool on time, and yet the only faith he really demonstrates is when he gets up. That took faith, by the way. You don't watch for faith to stand up. So he does demonstrate that, but nothing else on the front end. We saw a miracle last week, the healing of the official son, when that man came to understand from his servants that his son had been healed at the same hour when Jesus had talked to him, what does it say? He and his whole household, he and his whole oikos put their faith in Jesus. Miracles, not always, but often led to faith. 
Because remember what we said last week, Jesus is after way more than just simply healing a physical body. Jesus is after your soul. Look in your notes. Your greatest affliction that needs to be remedied is your soul. The one that is spiritually dead until you are brought to life, till you're born again by the Spirit of God through faith in Christ. Jesus knows what your greatest problem is. And for this man, just like you and me, it wasn't that his legs didn't work. It's that he had a broken relationship with a God of creation that needed to be made right. I love this verse. It comes off the page to me in all kinds of seasons of life. It fits so well today. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. God's kindness leads you toward repentance. God's kindness leads you toward repentance. I believe that's what Jesus' purpose in this miracle was, was to get this man's attention. Not only the fact that he had physical needs, he was really well aware of that, but to help him understand his spiritual needs as well. And what I want you to see is I want you to see that Jesus, once again, keeps acting so consistently with what John tells us at the very beginning in chapter one of why he came or how he came. He came full of grace and truth. He showed grace to the healing the man on the mat, but he comes back and finds him again and reminds him of the truth. Your biggest need wasn't that you would start walking. Your biggest need is to be right with your God. Charlotte Elliott was born in Clapham, England in March 18th, 1789. You didn't know it, but you celebrated her birthday on Thursday. As a young person, she lived a carefree life, gaining popularity as a portrait artist and writer of humorous verse. By the time she was 30, however, her health began to fail rapidly, and soon she became a bedridden invalid for the remaining years of her life. With her failing health came great feelings of despondency. In 1822, a noted Swiss evangelist, Dr. Caesar Milan, visited the Elliott home in Brighton, England. His visit proved to be a turning point in Charlotte's life. In counseling Miss Elliott about her spiritual and emotional problems, Dr. Milan impressed upon her this truth. Quote, you must come just as you are, a sinner, to the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Throughout the remainder of her life, Miss Elliot celebrated every year the day on which her Swiss friend had led her to a personal relationship with, with Christ, for she considered it, like we all do, her spiritual birthday. Although she did not write her text for this hymn until 1836, 14 years after her conversion experience, it is apparent that she never forgot the words of her friend, for they form the very essence of this hymn. Take a look at the screen. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Miss Elliot wrote the text for Just As I Am in 1836. I want you to catch this. It was published that same year in the second edition of the Invalid's Hymn Book a collection which contained 115 of her original works. Though Charlotte Elliott lived to be 82 years of age, she never gained normal health. 
And she often endured seasons of great physical suffering. Of her own affliction, she once wrote, God sees, God guides, God guards me. His grace surrounds me and his voice continually bids me to be happy and holy in his service just where I am. I'd want you to let this song from the Invalid's Hymn Book be your invitation today. Just as you are, all of who you are and all of who you are not, who Jesus has gone after and lovingly comes to make you alive, to make you whole by becoming rooted in him, and to make you useful for his mission of reaching your world. Our now what statement this week, recognize that healing begins with the question, do you want to get well? Let me pray. Father, we are so encouraged, so moved by this interaction, this conversation that you had with this man, a man who had been in a condition for decades that had kept him from living the productive life he'd hoped for, a man who was deeply dependent on others' charity and pity, a man who was longing for something better. And Jesus, what we're so impressed with today is not just your power to heal, not just your mercy on him at the house of mercy, but Jesus, what we're most impressed by is the fact that you went looking for him, the fact that you asked him the poignant question, do you want to get well, rather than just assuming he did. And the fact that you reminded him that the most important need he had wasn't legs that worked, but a soul that was healed. A sin problem that was taken care of by what you would do just years later at the cross. If that's true for you today and you realize that my greatest need isn't what I thought it was when I walked in the door today, but it's to be right with God, almighty creator of the universe, then I want to encourage you, don't let another moment go by before you A, admit, admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Before you B, believe. Believe that Jesus is the only savior available. Things we have sung about today, things we have been reminded of when we've taken the bread, received the cup, reminded of his body broken for us, like Jared said, the demonstration of his love. He couldn't love you more. See is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my trust, my confidence, not in what I can do to be better, but what you've already done in my place. That's where a relationship with God begins, and I'd encourage you, make that decision today. Father, this week in the areas where we are not whole and where we need your healing, would we begin with the question, do you want to get well? Thank you for being that kind and gracious to us. We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name, amen.